0: Good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. I sure hope that you're getting outside and you're seeing some of this amazing stuff that's going on. Hey, let's give a shout out to Madison, who's now a member of our worship team. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. She's bringing it. I like it. That's very cool. But yeah get out there to one of the gardens that's around the charleston area it's absolutely beautiful you don't even have to look at it you just go through it get blindfolded let somebody lead you through the smells alone are absolutely amazing wow so i'm glad you're here uh we've been learning about the real stimulus package and we've talked about how the government's trying to help us get this thing going thanks ricky and try to get the uh, our economy running but the idea is that god wants to stimulate our lives he really wants to kind of get us going and he he's invested in something and poured something into our economy to enable us to have better marriages to have better relationships with ourselves with others and with him and that is this this power of the holy spirit is the divine stimulus package and last week we learned about this concept of grace infused collaboration now I know it's like, why do you make a phrase like that? Why do you make up something like that? Well, when I say something, you guys don't realize I pour over the theological and philosophical accuracy of a statement that I make. I mean, I I just don't throw them out there or make them up, but it's kind of like I have to make sure it's right all the way. And grace-infused collaboration is a beautiful concept. It's not like... We get saved. God gives us grace. We get saved. Then God says, all right, Buckle, there you go. Now make a life for yourself and just try hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and try to be righteous. But no, that's that's not technically yet, but I do know he calls me to collaborate with him. But there's got to be something more than just God saving me and then telling me, okay, try not to mess this up. But rather, it's grace-infused collaboration. That means every step of the way there's grace that God is infusing me with through the power of the Holy Spirit enabling me to collaborate with him in my marriage. You know, just having a second marriage doesn't make the second marriage work, as some of you may know. You know, having a third marriage or doing four or five, it's not by the end of the time you you get really good at and then you finally have a successful one. There's a point in life when you have to be grace-infused That in order to collaborate with God, there's got to be something that happens in your life. But also, we need to realize we are called to collaborate with God. And so today, we're going to see that the kingdom of God moves forward not only by the power of grace, but our collaboration with the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it it leads us to a perfect Sunday to talk about this. Now, I was raised Catholic in the Boston area, and... Um, uh, that means we're in Holy Week. And a lot of people, as a matter of fact, I just had somebody ask me, do you believe in Holy Week? I mean, is, are, we, are we like that? And I'm like, no, that's the Catholics, Lutherans, and Episcopalians. And it's like, oh, okay, so, so you're going to talk about Palm Sunday, and then we're going to do Stations of the Cross, and then we're going to do Easter. And you know, I'm like, well, maybe we do believe in Holy Week. Yes, because the Holy Week is really this time where we just recognize the, the significant events in the life of Christ that had dramast, a dramatic impact on our lives. So um, today is a perfect time to look at a story that comes from the season. This is called Palm Sunday, or others will call it the triumphal entry. It's the day when Jesus, in the last week of his life, rides into Jerusalem and is hailed by part of the crowd. They just they're cheering up his arrival. And you you're probably familiar with the story. You've heard something about it. But we're going to see that this story is not only a momentary revealing of the kingship of Christ, but it's also going to show us how it moves forward. This is going to be really challenging for you. We're going to we're going to get into some stuff today. And it's really going to challenge the way that you think and about how the kingdom of God moves forward. And it may break some mythology in your life or maybe at the least some bad theology. And we're going to see how it moves forward piece by piece, not only in this story, but also how it moves forward in our lives. So let me read it to you out of Luke chapter 19. And it came about that when he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount of, that is called Olivet, That he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, in which as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it, bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Thus shall you speak. The Lord has need of it. And those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments in the road. And as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, blessed is the name of the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees and the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now I bet, as you're sitting there and you were listening to me read it, that you were fast-forwarding through your imagination and that's what we do. We have this beautiful imagination that God created and, and that we were probably just kind of like, okay, that's right. I know this story. Yeah, he rides in, he's on a donkey and people, you know, I remember those days back in Catholic church when they handed out palms when he came in the door and, and then, you know, me with my seven brothers were poking each other in the eyes with the palms and, oh yeah, I remember a Palm Sunday. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what that was. And, and so maybe you just kind of like went right through the story and and maybe even in your imagination you were kind of even impatient that I was taking so long to read it because you could visualize it so fast. But what I've noticed is that when you slow it down, you rewind it and play it again, you begin to see something about this concept of collaborating with God. And all of a sudden you begin to take all... And we're going to see that these, all these elements that what we call the triumphal entry of of Jesus, we're all of a sudden going to see that every step that Jesus takes forward moving into Jerusalem is an act of collaboration. So let's take the story again and go a little slower with it in Luke 19. And it came about that when he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples You will find a colt on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it here. Jesus asked the disciples or two disciples to step out on faith and to trust him. Now, again, we read right through this and we just don't give it too much thought. They are told to go and to get a piece of property. Let's be very clear that does not belong to them and it does not belong to Jesus. Now don't hide behind some highly spiritual concept about, well, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, he does, but he doesn't own that one. And, the, and, and, and he said, if somebody comes out and asks you about it, tell them, and he says, if the owners ask about it, see, he validates the concept of ownership. And he also validates that he's not the one that owns it. So I don't know about you. Pretend you're one of those two disciples. And pretend that somebody just told you, hey, I want you to go in my buddy's backyard, and uh, don't knock on the door, I want you to just go in his garage, and uh, he's got a Kubota tractor back there, and uh, I, I, I want to put some plants in the backyard, and I want you to go ahead and take it, and, uh, and if, by the way, somebody comes out and say, just tell him I needed it. Now, I don't know about you, I would have a really hard time doing that. I... Does anybody else here hate borrowing stuff? I hate borrowing stuff. And I I hate just assuming it's okay for somebody to just come and take stuff. I'm the kind of guy who doesn't want to borrow anything, and the thought that somebody would all of a sudden come out and say, hey, what are you doing? Yet these two disciples, and this is the phrase we're going to hear over and over again, yield their apprehensions, and do what Jesus asked them to do. And so in this moment of appreh- or getting this cult, this young donkey that's never been ridden on, these two guys are asked to go into somebody's yard and take something that's not theirs and it's not Jesus, but yet they're just going to trust the Lord that it's okay. All right. Now I'm sure if we got any lawyers in the, in the audience, you'd be willing to say, okay, this is really, really sounding like theft. And don't worry, don't get nervous. I'm, I'm going to clean all this up, or the scriptures does. See, the next moment of yield comes from the same part of the story, but from someone else other than the two disciples. So the two disciples had to go and, and, and position themselves for Christ's sake to get this donkey. I want you to realize, too, that when we read a story in Scripture, particularly in the Gospels, whenever a story is told and it's repeated in a, in a situation, it means there's significance to it. Now, I am not in any way saying that there are becoming, it's called dialectical thinking, that there is some part of the Scriptures that are higher in authority than other parts of the Scripture. All of it's inspired by God and all of it's authoritative. But there are some things about that God wants me to take home and implement in my life. You know, the fact that Judas hung himself on a certain kind of tree really doesn't have any particular application to my life. But when a story repeats it, he tells them, this is what's, you know, go and do this. This is what could happen. And this is what you say. And then we're told, line by line, all the dialogue concerning this little cult. I mean, you would think this... I mean, it's not like Luke's got a giant gospel. This is what you want to waste dialogue on? This is what you want to Is telling us how he gets his donkey? So what that means to me is that there is something to learn in the story. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Even though we could, could have deduced from Jesus' instructions that they would run into some questions about their actions, I believe that this is written down so that we could see how the owners of the cult responded. Jesus wasn't going to tell the disciples to violate the seventh commandment. But rather, what he's doing is creating, allowing us to see that in order for Jesus to take this triumphal entry There is a sequence of yielding going on. The two disciples had to yield. I mean, remember, Jesus tells them to go into the city that's opposite this other city. Now, why are you going to talk to me about how I'm going to get this cult and what to say when I go taking it? And you're not even going to name the cities because the name of the city is not important. What's going on with the cult is. And what's so important is that we're seeing how these owners respond to the need of Jesus or this request of Jesus. And we'll talk about that more. See, this may be ridiculous to you, but it's how I used to think. I got saved watching Indiana Jones and the hunt for the the Lost Ark. That was how deeply theological my approach of God was. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not a big reader guy. Movies really impact me. So when I think about how the kingdom of God works up until this point, I, here's how I thought it, it operated. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you a video clip on how the moment with this little cult and how they got the donkey and how, in my imagination, it worked out. Let's watch. How long have you had these droids? About three or four seasons. They're up for sale if you want them. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. Move along. Did you see in that video clip? Did you see, it's not very slight, but you see Obi-Wan Kenobi do a little bit of this. These are not the droids you're looking for. These are not the droids you're looking for. You know, it's, it's, that's how I thought Bible stories worked out. That the disciples went up, and with the power of God or something, all of a sudden went to the owners, this is the donkeys we're looking for. This is the donkey we're looking for. And then all of a sudden, these like, you know, animated characters, they were all of a sudden like, yes, you can take it, go on your way, take the donkey. See, I thought a lot of the story of God, and the story of Jesus, and the story of his kingdom advances that way. But this story was told with such detail because that's not what God wants you to believe. God doesn't want you to think that he just waves his hand at your marriage because you wanna have a better marriage and your marriage gets better. There's deeper interplay that's going on in this story. You know, I know it sounds crazy, But I believe what we have here is something that's revealing the misrepresentation of the doctrine of predestination. Now, I know some of you may not be into theology and all, but um, the way that we have had this doctrine of predestination that talks about the sovereignty of God communicate to us, most of the time it's wrong. It errantly communicates that God can only get his stuff done by making other people do stuff they don't want to do sometime like a Jedi mind trick. That that's the power of God. Not not through love bringing people who will voluntarily submit the ownership of what they have to his authority and to his glory, but rather some predestination determines that you're going to respond a certain way. You know, and, and people get nervous. They're like, well, wait a minute, Pastor Paul, wait a minute. You don't believe in the sovereignty of God? Yes, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe the fact that you have the ability to make a free will choice that is significant enough to, to allow you to go to heaven or to go to hell is, is upheld and enabled through the sovereignty of God. It's kind of like that American flag thing it gives you a right to burn it or not burn it. It gives you a right to stand for it or not stand for it. It gives you a right to be um, unlawful or to be lawful. And so in the sovereignty of God, in this concept here, a lot of us have this mentality that that God just waves his hands and this plan goes forward. Now I know maybe you're not as silly as me and you related it to a Star Wars movie, but how often do you use this phrase, if God wants it to happen, it will happen? If God wants it to happen, it will happen. If God wants my marriage to be healed, he'll just wave his hand and it'll happen. But if it doesn't happen, if God wants me to forgive my wife, it will happen. It's like, really? That's not what's going on. As the kingdom of God is moving forward on this triumphal entry, what we're seeing is not only the sovereignty of God, the glory of Christ being presented, but we have people responding and collaborating with it and yielding ownership. To Christ. And with every step of of yielding goes a step of the donkey. God is not going to steal your donkey. He's not gonna steal your tithe. He's not gonna steal your free time. He's not gonna steal your apology. He's not going to zap you or or play some mind game with your spouse in order to accomplish and see the kingdom of God take one step forward in your life. It didn't happen that way on this day, and it doesn't happen now. The kingdom of God is advancing on earth as his people yield to his will and his empowerment. God is not looking for robots to program. He's inviting us to be a part of the best thing that's happening in the universe. I'm a NASA guy. I like the little probe going up there and putting a four by four on Mars, that's cool. Four by four is whenever you can put a four by four on a, a, you know, any other planet, I think that's a good thing. You know, but let's be honest, if they find life up there or if they find gold up there, if they find whatever, you, know, you and I will still spend the rest of our lives eating, drinking, living, breathing, working and dying on planet Earth. Okay, most of us are not going to ride on the space shuttle. Most of us, even no matter how glorious it is, whatever answers they find on Mars, the greatest offer you will ever have in the known universe will to be a part of what God's doing. There is no other greater invitation you will get while you're living your 75 to 90 years of life than to be a part of the kingdom of God. God's will will be accomplished. The question is whether or not you're going to be a part of it. And God, in His sovereignty, created a little pocket of self will in you so that you could just wave at Him, You are not going to be my Christ. This is not the religion I'm looking for. This is not the solution I want for my life. And God will let you do that to Him. He's absolutely amazing. See, God's will will be accomplished. The question is whether or not you can be a part of it. And he could come up with other solutions, and Jesus is going to tell us about that in a few minutes. But these owners were willing to yield to the simple phrase, the Lord has need of it. Okay? Now this blows me away, because it is this kind of ready willingness that gets things done quick in the kingdom of God. I know a lot of us have been waiting on God to fix things, right? Fix marriage, fix family, fix society, fix our government, f- fix our bodies, whatever it is. Is it possible that it's not getting fixed on the timetable that we want it to get fixed on? Not because God wants to do things slow, but because the quality of yielding is not at the pace that we could see the donkey take a next step into the city of man. See, if if the kingdom of God is, not in, is stepping into your life, into your city, into your Jerusalem, maybe it's not because power is lacking, but because yielding is lacking. That's why I look around and I'll see some marriages flourish, and I'll see that this other marriage won't flourish. It's like, well, what is it? Better genetics? Better homo sapiens? You know, hotter looking wife? Wealthier looking, um, wealthier dude? I don't know. I mean, I'd, sorry, that was two stereotypes I probably thrown, shouldn't have thrown out there. But, but yeah, I just don't think God's guys are hot. Uh, so, but what is it? Was they, better, they better? No. I look around and I see marriages, marriages flourish because in that marriage, it, it's not a better genetics. It's a, there's a better quality of yielding going on. And every time that yielding occurs, and yielding to God, that donkey, the kingdom of God, takes one more step. One more step, one more step, and Christ is glorified and the kingdom of God comes. I love what it says, and I love the fact that Luke was so specific about what he wrote down because here's what he said their response was when they were untying the donkey. They said, why are you untying it?" See, this isn't some foreknowledge thing going on here. This isn't like, we will respond to the Lord because we were put here in this town for this particular moment because Jesus would need a donkey and we're not really people, we're angels in disguise and we're gonna yield to it. They didn't even know what, why are you taking the donkey? They didn't know on this day Jesus was gonna come and he was gonna, but here's the thing, here's the beauty of the kingdom in this. They, all they said was the Lord has need of it and these guys were like, yours. Now let me ask you this, how much persuasion does it take for you to unclench your life and yield to God? I'm just like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have even given up my wife's 2012 Honda Civic with that little bit amount of time. But we are told, nothing against Civic owners, it was a great reliable car, but we were told that this donkey hadn't been ridden on yet. I'll let you borrow my beater, but you ain't getting my good car. Oh, there's no way. My brother Peter is an awesome guy, and um, uh, he's been very successful. And uh, he's a car guy. Almost all of us in our family are either car guys, boat guys, or uh, motorcycle guys. We're basically very carnal. Uh, And so uh, we like. but he likes cars. And so he's got this garage, and he's got like six cars in it. Now, he's got one of those ramps that you drive in, (laughs) then you drive in the next car, (laughs) and half of the cars are supercars, which means like, you know, 150 more. Uh, He's got a GTR, he's got uh, an old Dodge Viper, Um, he's got a a couple other things that are in there that are absolutely astounding. But I'll tell you what, you know how big that circle is of people who he lets drive his car? It's where the, that little circle. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like there's a little, and I understand. I totally justified. I get, I get, and understand it. But here's this group of people, or this couple, let's say, that when they were told that the Lord had a need, all they said, "Take it," but you haven't driven it yet. That's all right. It doesn't matter. Lord has need of it. No Jedi mind trick, you know. No threat of punishing them or sending them to hell if they don't yield. No, because we're going to find out that disciples yield to the kingdom of God. And they don't need a lot of persuasion to do it. Hey, the Lord has need of it, then it's yours. So I'm going to ask you the question that you don't want me to ask. What does it take you to yield to God? Let me be clear, God doesn't need us or the donkey you rode in on. He invites us because the outcome of collaborating with God is greater than the task itself. It always works out better for us to be a part of what God is doing. See, we're created to be collaborators. In the beginning story, we're told that God creates humanity and then he puts us in the garden and we're told to have dominion over the earth. What he's telling Adam and Eve is, hey, see what grace has given you, this incredible garden? Now, collaborate with me as my image bearers, because that's what image bearing is, is, is an expression of collaboration, God's way. Now, I want you to make the rest of the earth look like this part. You like living here? This is your home. You get to work out of this place of grace, and now I want you to collaborate and make the world better. now, What we're doing is we're burning the whole thing down and it's not a political thing and then we're turning everything into a parking lot then we use it for a mall and then about 25 years later we stop using it as a mall we build a new mall someplace else we wipe out stuff and it's like no, no, no that's not what it was about we were called to collaborate with the imagery of God in our lives to see the kingdom of God come what does it take to get you to yield? you know what it takes unfortunately too much? At least in my life, my greatest moments of yielding to God occur when I am shouted out, in pain. In pain. It's like, so if you ever had a problem with the, what is the problem, the cause of the problem of evil, and I really have a problem with God because of evil, it's like, oh, well, God can respond to you and say, well, you know what, I, to be honest with you, I got a problem with yielding. Okay? It's like, you know what's really sad, humanity? Is that you'll only yield when you're in pain. You know? That's not God's perfect design, but it really seems that that's what it takes for us to yield at times, at least in my life. So back to Palm Sunday and the ride into Jerusalem on a shiny new donkey. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw garments on the donkey and put Jesus on it, and as he was going, they were spreading their garments in the road. Okay, all right, before we get too far on the garment things, so let's take a look at Jesus needing help onto a donkey, okay? The second person of the Trinity, you know, spoke existence, reality into existence by the power of his word, and he needs help up onto a donkey? I mean, I just could visualize, you know, pfft, You know, the second person in the Trinity trying to get up on the up on a donkey, and and he needs somebody. Okay, I know from other Bible stories that that God can make a donkey talk anytime he wants to. I think he'd probably get the donkey to do like one of these numbers, you know, where he kind of got low, you know, and that maybe that Jesus could hop on. But I tell you what, why why didn't Jesus do that? Why didn't Jesus like when he walked on water? Why didn't he just kind of look, you know, look like do one of that Iron Man thing? You know, and then fly over the donkey, scorch its back, and then whoosh, land on it. Why? Because he knew that a lot, inviting us to collaborate with him would do something to us. That it was powerful on the human psyche and soul to actually get a, be a part of the kingdom of God. It's like to be a part of what God's doing. And so, Jesus, just like when he told John the Baptist, when John was like, dude, I should be baptized, you should be baptizing me. And he's like, dude, I'm just going to let you do this. Let's just let this happen. Yeah, you know I could do this all on my own, but let's do it because it helps the folks out. See, there's something about yielding we haven't discovered yet. We're in the last eight, we've been in 18 months, we've been doing everything but yielding. We've been hiding, fighting. You know, I mean, we need to attack racism, but, you know, I mean, we, we gotta we gotta think about life beyond the evils of man. You know what I mean? We can't just you know just freak out every time. We gotta we gotta live. You know we gotta we gotta have hope. And if we yield to God, it will begin. It will begin to deal with racism. But you could shout racism all day long, and it's not going to change the human heart. But you allow a person to yield to the kingdom of God, anything can happen. Absolutely anything can happen. So Jesus lets himself put But let's get back to the garments. I'm sure that there is not a single biological benefit to the animal that Jesus is riding on or to Jesus that the people were laying out their outer garments before him. So what's going on? Why, why are they doing this? Is because they wanted to contribute to the moment. Because where the Spirit of God is responding, is moving in disciples, and we're gonna find out, this wasn't an ordinary crowd that was responding. But when the Spirit of God moves in people, when we yield to the Spirit of God, it all of a sudden makes us, enables us, and propels us, not mind controls us, but yet invites us to collaboration, to yielding before God. And these people are like, okay, um, I, I don't have a lot of money, or I, I, don't, I can't sing real well, or, or I can't play an instrument. Here. Because stripping your garment is an expression of yielding. It's like, God, take it. And, and, let your, and, and so I, I think it went like this. I, I think it went, the donkey's walking, garment goes out. You know, that person's moment in the middle of the song You know, and the donkey takes forward, then another one goes forward, and then he takes forward, and it's going forward, and, and garment after garment, and song is being sung, and it's going forward and forward, and it's advancing. See, as we yield to God, the kingdom of God advances into the city of man. America will not get better if it does not lay and yield its garment before the Christ. Okay, it's, that's not going to happen. Your marriage is not going to get better because God just waved, you're going to have a great marriage. You're going to have a great marriage. It's going to take some yielding. They wanted to contribute to, to the moment. No one made them do it. I was just visualizing with Jesus because I just got a really bad imagination, but I'm visualizing Jesus like riding down on the donkey. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's probably unholy, especially during Holy Week, but it was like, hey, you there! I see you're wearing a fine-knitted shawl that your mother gave me. Lay it here before my beast, because I want to ride on it. You know? (laughs) Did anybody else imagine that? No? Okay, sorry. You need to use your imagination more. But he didn't do that. It was an expression of the yielding of their lives. Jesus didn't tell them to do that. The expression of the yield turns from garments to shouts. I mean, just look at this, two disciples, a donkey, an owner, a garment, uh, you know, I mean, all this is collaborative yielding going on, and you thought Jesus just kind of power worked his way into Jerusalem against the will of mankind, all mankind, and as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude, and here's where, this is the caveat, or this is the distinction, the whole multitude of disciples, the whole multitude of disciples began to sing praise to God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, "Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord of the, in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest." It was not the whole crowd. When I noticed that, I never, see, I never saw before that said the crowd, the disciples, it all of a sudden made me realize, I was like, wait a minute. If you're waiting for the rest of the world to join the song, the kingdom of God will never come to your life, because the whole world is not going to sing the song. But the disciples, regardless of what was going on, the Roman soldiers, the Pharisees, all the other people that weren't convinced, they were like, you know, in the middle of 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 the city of man is the city of God for the believer. And it comes through yielding. It was the crowd of disciples yielding to the move of God and Christ is glorified. But so that you may know, and you need to know this, and maybe as a Christian you need to know this, especially if you're a a Calvinist, you may need to know this. And, And if you don't know what that is, you don't need to know what it is. And if you know what it is, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) but so that you may know that God will protect your civil liberties to resist God and some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to Jesus teacher rebuke your disciples and he answered and said I tell you if these become silent and they have the right to do so the stones will cry out see some of the Pharisees refused to yield to the kingdom of Christ And you know what? What did Jesus do? And all of a sudden they started singing songs and picking up a choir book and and joining along with the choir. No, he didn't wave his hand over them. and get them to sing. No, he's like, listen, I used my sovereignty to endow you with personal significance to make meaningful choices in your life and the most significant choice you'll ever make in your life is what you will do while this song is playing in your life. I mean, I hate to reduce it, guys, but, but, but life is just a giant a song of musical chairs. And the music is playing for us for 75 to 90 years of our life, and we move along. And what is the name of the song? The song goes like this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in his name. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And it comes down to whether or not we yield to that song and join in with that song or whether we rebuke that song. You see, the disciples were waving their hands to Jesus. Tell this group to stop singing. Tell this group to... Are we shocked by cancel culture? Uh, Not cancel culture, but though it's the same thing. Are we by cancel culture? See, this is cancel culture right here. We don't like what you're singing about your Christ, and we're going to need you to shut up. And Jesus says, listen, that's your choice. But I'm telling you, somebody's going to sing. Okay? Even if it's going to take rocks, oh, the kingdom of God is coming. But I preserve your right to reject it. From the days of creation, God has always endowed humanity with choice, will, and the wherewithal to reject him. Let me be clear about this idea of civil liberties. When it comes to Christ's first entry into the city of man, God honored it. But there is a second entry of Christ into the city of man. And he ain't going to give a flip about your civil liberties. You are living 75 to 90 years out with your civil liberties as the song of who Christ is plays in your ear. And you get to decide whether or not you yield to it or not. You become a part of the kingdom of God and what God is doing. Jesus wants the cancel culture of his day to be very clear in their understanding. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ is real. It will go forward. It does not need you. But it, through his blood, invites you. It invites you to be a part of the best thing that's happening in the universe. Interestingly, this is the second time Jesus has suggested the animation of stones into humans or human behavior. I love the sci-fi part of Christianity a little bit, or at least the way that I classify it. This is the second time. First time occurred in Matthew 3 when when the Pharisees were boasting about who they were but yet not yielding to the Christ. Jesus said, and do not presume to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able, from these stones, to raise up children for Abraham. I think when Jesus uses that like that, I don't think this is a hyperbole. I don't think this is just a linguistic tool to kind of make an emphasis. Stones crying out shows that God can animate anything. And Jesus infers that stones would yield if they were given the divine opportunity that humans were given. Now, I know some of you are intellectually eye rolling about, oh, brother, he's talking about animating stones into human beings. Well, if you think that's stupid, go back and read The Origin of the Species by Darwin, and I'll show you stupid, okay? I mean, is it easier to come from a primordial soup, from dust or from rock? I will tell you this, without God, the methodology or whatever it is, it's impossible, Okay? But Jesus is saying, listen, this is not about my ego that I get praised. This is about blessing you by allow, inviting you to be a part of the best thing going on in the universe. Your life is, is the hearing of that one song being played to the Christ. And the question is going to be asked of us, and is being asked, will you yield to the song or will you resist and cancel the song? Now if you think your prospects as a mortal finite creature is best served by silencing the song, God preserves you the right to say that song will not play or be heard in my heart. But the song will continue to play. But if you want so much more in the world from the world than what the world has to offer and you want it to be preserved into eternity, Then the song goes like this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So as we move to expressions, and I'm going to call today, as we move into a moment of yielding. You know, I think sometimes in evangelical churches or whatever kind of church that we are, we just kind of pass around the cup, you know, the communion, and we all kind of like habitually get up and just take it. But I think we've forgotten that it's, a, it's actually an expression of yielding to the song about the one who died and who rose that we may have new life. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul was so sure of this that he warned the people of Corinth not to eat and drink of it unworthily. Not that they, hadn't, that they had to earn the right No, no, no. no. Nobody earns the right to receive communion. It's a gift and a grace of God. But you said you need to be really clear about what's going on here. Taking it is not a yielding of your esophagus and your belly to the elements, but it's yielding your heart to the kingdom of God. So I hope I have done such a good job today that as I've best I can yield to the the Word of God, I hope that maybe in your life, you'll be like, wow, yes, I want to do that. Maybe also you'll be like, wow, if that's what's really going on here, I need to just stay in my seat because I'm not sure about it. And let me just tell you, that's an honest, thoughtful, and reverent thing to do is that you all of a sudden recognize, dang, I've been taking this thing without any second thought of what's really going on here. So in the story, disciples, a donkey, owners, garments, voices, songs, and stones were all a part of this triumphal entry. The invitation to be part of the kingdom of God affects all areas of our life as we yield it to him. Do you think God you think God just needs your money? You know, maybe that's the way churches have presented it, but it's like, no, but I'd like you to yield anyway. I'd like you to yield. You know, when you're sitting there and, and, and the worship team's worshiping and no judgment here, but i just, I'm challenging you to think, that's what I'm supposed to do. When you're standing there and you're just like, You know, it's that stupid song again. I don't want to sing that song. It's not my kind of song. I don't like to, I don't have to raise my hands. It's like, okay, you don't technically have to raise your hands and, and you don't technically have to sing and go to heaven. But let me ask you, could your folded hands, folded arms be an expression of your yielding or lack thereof? You know, well, you don't have to sing to go to heaven. It's like, no, you don't. Good job, theologian. But there was no place in the scriptures that told you not to sing, to go to heaven. And I find in the scriptures that those who are going to heaven sing more often than not. Okay, why? Because God likes your voice? No, he likes the yielding of your garment. Why? Because he's got an ego so big that he needs all of us to sing to him? No, because when you open up your heart to him, the kingdom of God can come in. So let me encourage you. This is a big moment this is a holy week empowerment in the kingdom of God has never been a problem and I know like Gideon we learned last week well where is God and where is the power of God and where is the miracles of God that we heard about I I now know there is not a lack of the power of God on planet earth we do have a problem with yielding though we really do So let me encourage you just to think. Let me challenge you. And I know this was kind of rough. Um, But when Jesus turned to those Pharisees and said, listen, (laughs) you don't want to sing? That's okay. I'm going to die for your civil liberty to reject me. I created you empowered to reject me. But just know this. This song's going on. And I'm, I'm coming. I just wanted to invite you to be a part of it. You get to make that choice. And it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Father, as we are in this moment, the earth is not lacking because of lack of your presence. It's lacking because of its willingness to yield. Lord God, you're talking to a man or a woman right now in their marriage. And and they've been praying that you would do a jedi mind trick on their husband or on their wife and change their brain but god your kingdom comes forward one step at a time as we yield may we be the kind of people that are not so contrarian that we have to have five reasons to yield but that that by the end of my life all it will take was you to say, uh, the Lord has need of it, and boom, there it is. So Father God, you invite us to the table of Christ as our first step of yielding to the kingdom of God. Let me encourage you, if you're here, maybe it's embarrassing for you to go to a pastor or one of our prayer team members and, you know, I don't need to ask for prayer, God knows what I want. It's like, yeah, but that's not how God works. There's a yielding that needs to take place. An emptying for a filling. So maybe it's your time to break through the crowd and not give a rip about cancel culture any longer. What if somebody sees me raising my hands? What if somebody hears me singing? You know, God wants you to... Your garment today, and, and I don't know who you are, but your garment today may be grief. It may be failure. It may be self-doubt. That's, oh that's oh, man, that's such a good thing. God's, God's not looking for perfect garments to be laid before him. He just wants your garment. He wants you. Father, be with us now in this holy moment. As you take step by step into the city of man, we thank you.